Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Scipio. The number one challenge every salesperson faces right now is how to have more conversations with more potential customers and land more appointments. And that's why you've got to go check out Scipio today. I've had too many sales leaders tell me how Scipio has transformed their ability to make contact with customers faster and easier than ever before that I had to go check them out myself. Salespeople using Scipio see a 5x improvement in landing appointments and a 40% lift in show rates. And that means more conversations, which we all know means more sales. Listen, everything has changed in the last year. And that means the way you connect with customers needs to change too. Scipio has the best automated texting platform for building personalized relationships at scale that I have ever seen. But don't take my word for it. Head over to Scipio at Scipio.com and use the code SPRINGFREE for one month on the plan of your choice courtesy of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Again, that's Scipio, S-K-I-P-I-O dot com, and use Spring Free to find out just how good a modern messaging platform can be. The Sales Leadership Podcast is also brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. We're all facing new challenges, and if you need someone to talk shop with, I've got you. If you want to become an elite, legendary sales leader for the team you lead, hit me up. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today we're joined by Ryan Lallier, founder and CEO of Salesgevity. Salesgevity helps high-growth companies build strong pipelines faster and cheaper, made up of better qualified prospects. Ryan's team delivers high-quality conversations with people squarely in the middle of the ideal customer profile. Salesgevity helps sales leaders find better matches that make purchase decisions faster. And as a result, the teams working with Salesgevity, they grow faster. Ryan brings a battle-tested approach that's come from multiple VP of sales stints at high-growth companies in ways that were very visible and very successful, and he knows firsthand how to take what the market gives and then some. He's focused his proprietary approach into helping other high-growth companies succeed faster and grow quicker, and the results? They're super impressive. Now, as a result, Ryan's having a blast helping sales teams all around the world with what I believe is the most important part of the sales process, finding new opportunities. I'm really excited to have Ryan join us today. I've been watching him do great work for a long time now, and I never get tired of bringing people that can shine light on best practices and prospecting. We are all in for a real treat today as we discuss what I believe are some of the biggest challenges in sales right now. Ryan, my man, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Rob, thanks for having me. I'm pumped. Huge fan. Oh, well, I appreciate that. That means a lot because I think what you're doing is exciting. Uh, I'm super excited to have you on, man. You, you're one of the guys that I follow and I've been looking at the stuff you laid out on LinkedIn and other places. And you've had a couple of things that caught my attention that I can't wait to talk about with our listeners today. But before we do, 
we got thousands of sales leaders around the world that are listening to you right now. Uh, why don't you take a minute and introduce to our listeners uh, your organization, uh, Sales Salesgevity, and, and, and what we do, what you do for your customers. Wow, thousands. First of all, congratulations. I'm a little bit nervous now <laughs> knowing that uh, the audience is that large. Yeah, so, well, again, thanks for having me on. Uh, name is Ryan Lallier. You can find me on LinkedIn if you want to. I'm the CEO and founder of Salesgevity. I started this business in December of 2019. Uh, I actually quit my job cold turkey. I had a 20-year run as a sales professional. The last five or six were spent in a senior leadership capacity, primarily within startups, and built teams from the ground up. Your SDR, AE models, go-to-market, cold calling, email scripts, uh, voicemail scripts, you know, just the real dirt under their fingernails, roll up your sleeves kind of stuff uh, to build pipeline, what I refer to as uh, organically. Um, but yeah, I decided that, you know, after being a successful sales rep, also a failure at times, and then a successful sales leader, that the next mark in my journey in my career would be proven to myself that I can build a business from the ground up. So what I was able to do for sales teams at companies, I want to see if I can do on my own with little to no resources. So I launched a business in 2019 of December. Little did I know that we were going to have a pandemic hit in February. Um, <laughs> so that definitely threw a monkey wrench in things. So that first right. six months of the business, um, it was treacherous, man. But uh, I got through it. I pivoted probably four or five times until I finally got to what the product uh, and the service is today. And it's a, a full service, uh, US-based sales team as a service. So we do everything from cold calling to uh, setting meetings all the way to not only setting the meetings, but running discovery and closing deals for companies that need us to. That's awesome. I, uh, I love the story. I love the story of how you took the things that worked and you said, I'm ready to, to go start and show I can build something from the ground up. Yeah. That, that's, that's something that lots of people talk about, but not a lot of people actually follow through on, right? Absolutely. And I can say that as someone who thought about it for years before I pulled the trigger on it. Right. Yeah. And so uh, that's maybe something that we'll get into as well. But, I, but I'm, I'm interested to, I'm interested to dive into a little bit about that background that you had before you got it started, mm -hmm. that led you to having the confidence to, to go. How'd you get involved in sales, man? One of the things that I found as I work with salespeople, very few said growing up, I'm going to be a sales guy when I grow up. What got you in there and, and, and a little bit about your story that ultimately led you to starting what you're doing right now. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I fell into sales uh, accidentally, to be frank. I, I had aspirations of becoming a high school history teacher and a football coach. Cool. And the summer after I graduated, I wasn't certified yet to teach. So I was going to get my certification to be a teacher in the fall, but I was living in my parents' basement again and was looking for a job for the summer. So I'm going to date myself here, but I opened up the Hartford Current went to the classified section, circled a couple jobs, and I applied for a job at a company called Connecticut Telephone. And I basically went to the job interview thinking that I was going to be working in a retail setting selling cell phones and like data plans. But it actually ended up becoming an outside sales gig where I was literally wearing a suit in the middle of the summer, driving a oh. beat-up car, knocking on doors, selling discounted phone services, internet dial-up service and Motorola flip phones. Um, what you are dating yourself when you say, no, Motorola I know flip phones, it's, brother. I mean, I'm 44, but you would, you would think by the, by what I just described, it's like the 1980s or something, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nuts, man. It's like, I tell that story and people are like, wow, man, that was a long time ago. I was like, it wasn't that long ago. Um, but yeah. And I just 
did that for about a year and a half before I ended up moving to Boston and staying in sales. But what I realized is that all my buddies who came home from college, I graduated, they were making, you know, twenty twenty five thousand $25,000 a year. And I made over 60,000 living in my parents' basement. And I was like, I think sales is for me, man. I love the commission. I love the drive. Um, I like the autonomy and I just like the coolness. I had a flip phone. I was wearing a suit. I mean, I thought I was, you know, the cat's ass as they say. So yeah, um, baby, I got really into it, man. I love it. I love hearing people's stories, how you get into it because most people are accidentally involved <laughs> and then intentionally successful. It's starting to change right now. We've got a lot of schools like what's happening at UT Dallas and some, some of the other great schools. There's like 70 schools now where you can get sales degrees or sales emphasis and I love what it's doing to our profession, how it's, you know, bringing out better talent faster. But for guys like you and me, man, we're mostly accidentally involved and then intentionally successful. Yeah. And that's why I'm so happy to have you on because that intentional success is what led you to starting your own, your own firm as you help other sales leaders and sales or it's, uh, other organizations become intentionally, it's intentionally successful by bringing this full service prospecting slash uh, it's not just prospecting. You do full service stuff and bring sales to the organization. So, yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about that, man. What made me first reach out to you? I've been following you for a while. I, I, like I've been aware of you and we've been connected. You shared something on LinkedIn where you kind of challenged the idea of, of just crushing calls and 50 calls in a, in a day, a hundred calls in a day, 200 calls in a day and, and, and started suggesting the idea of having more outcome-based objectives rather than activity-based objectives saying, you know, for instance, one new opportunity, you know, or, or one actual booked meeting kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about your, you know, what, where you're coming from? Because that's, I think really important thinking. There's too many people that are still just activity oriented right now. Yeah, totally. So I come from a place of morale-based objectives. I believe that morale builds momentum. And a lot Mm. of times when we put these high-volume, high-stat, metric-sheet-driven exercises in front of people, they're mentally exhausting. They very rarely have success. And when we look at the outcome of success, we're looking for meetings in some cases. We're looking for discovery calls, account penetration. But ultimately, what we're looking for is revenue. And we're looking for opportunities that are actually sales qualified, that are legit, that meet all the criteria. Whatever your methodology is, you can have one that you've made up or you could use one of the, the many popular ones. But unless those check boxes are hit that say, hey, this is really an opportunity, um, it's not really going to build morale. And I don't think that that is a sustainable exercise to do the opposite of that. And the opposite is just, hey, you know what? Come or, hell or high water, you have to make 60 calls today. That's got to be matched by 60 uh, emails or today wasn't a success. And, you know, for me, success is leaving my desk at whatever time I leave going, wow, I just booked two meetings with top accounts that I've identified as my top 250. And not only that, they're with the people that I know need to see what we do. Forget what my boss or the company thinks I need to, 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 to do or who that I need to talk to. I know that if this person sees what we're doing, they're going to go, wow, we need that. That solves a problem. Those are wins. Those are morale boosters. And that creates momentum. And that is really where the post came from. I want everyone to slow down. Uh, I, I, there, there, there's value in that. There's proof in the pudding. I have the data to back it up. 
I have customers that have been on nine month retainer with me who haven't left me, who in the beginning were, were skeptic. They're like, dude, I need you to make like, you know, a thousand phone calls a week. We got to show metrics because I'm trying to raise money or I have a board or I need these vanity metrics to pump up my valuation. I'm like, well, you have three customers. So your valuation really isn't what you think it is. But if you want customers and you want strong logos, we have to take a slow, deliberate approach. Um, And, you know, when I onboard someone, I tell them, look, if I was your VP of sales coming into your company tomorrow, the first thing I would do is produce a 90 day plan. This would set the expectations between you and I for the first 90 days. Part of it, quite frankly, so that you leave me alone to do what I need to do and to do what I know how to do. I don't want you, uh, you know, up my rear end for three months, you know, driving me crazy. So I want to put this in front of you. So I do the same thing with founders. I say, look, our relationship, I'm your VP of sales. You're the CEO. That's how we're going to act and interact. I have a team behind me. Everyone's trained and knows what they're doing. But here's a 90-day plan. If you sign on to this, you are committing to 90 days of letting me do what I know is going to work. Um, and then we'll go from there. You know, we can pivot and adjust after 90 days. So that was a long answer. No, Bob, it's I, really I good. That, but... I, I, I want to sit in that for a minute. I, like, uh, you're going to laugh. I, I'm already on page two of our notes of the things you're talking about already. You, you, this is really important. I, I, I've written down several words. There's, there's two or three that I want to I peel back a little bit. Yeah. Because this concept, you know, the more button, I want to start with the more button. That's not one you use, but I'm going to get back to one of the ones you used here in a second. Yeah. When we sign up to be a salesperson, and then especially when we sign up to be a sales leader, yeah. remember this is the sales leadership podcast. We are absolutely, positively, unequivocally signing up for the more button to get pushed, right? Yep. Yeah. We have to grow. I mean, our job is to drive growth. We're not babysitters. We're, we're here to grow intentionally and predictably, right? Would it be fair yeah. to say? Yeah, definitely. We're the ones who provide the benefit programs. We're the ones who provide, you know, all the stuff. And we, we, we have to fund that for everyone. And, and so the more button is something that we have to be comfortable with. But I think the problem is when we sign up for the more button, sometimes we just turn to activities and we think it's as simple as, well, it's a numbers game. Cause that used to be like, I think a fair thing to say, it's a numbers game. And maybe it is still a numbers game, but the way we look at those numbers is different. It's not yeah. just like you said, and so let's start with vanity metrics first. I love how you call them vanity metrics. Yep. There for sure are going to be some vanity metrics that are going to be the, that you should be like looking to have them be vanity. Like you, I love how you said you only got three customers. Like yeah. customer count should be a vanity metric. Um, total revenue should be a vanity metric. Revenue per customer should be a vanity metric. Booked meetings, you know, outcome based things. Can we talk a little bit about redefining like, Here's what vanity metrics used to be. And here's what maybe you should start thinking about. Cause I think what I love about what you're, what you're suggesting, Ryan is activity is not necessarily tied to accomplishment. Accomplishment should be the metrics that we're looking at rather than just activity. I'm rambling right now. Can you, can you address like, is it time to rename or, or have new, new vanity metrics that we look to instead of maybe the other ones? Yeah, I wouldn't say rename, but I would say redefine. You know, okay. when when I talk to SDRs and AEs that I train today, mm-hmm. and they they'll always ask me, or I'll at least ask them if they don't, do you leave voicemail? And they'll say yes, no, sometimes, and and we'll peel back a little bit and dig in. And I would tell them that here's my opinion on voicemail: if you have the right phone number for the right person at the right company, and you don't leave a voicemail, you are missing out on an incredible opportunity. Tonality is key. 
coming off as a crystal clear professional is key. Giving someone the opportunity to hear the sincerity in your voice is, is key. And the biggest one is you get to leave free advertising of your brand and what you do. And mm. the person's going to read or listen to that voicemail. I say read because they transcribe voicemails now in your email. They're going yeah. to get it. And I don't care who you are. If you are a decision maker in a company, when you see in your inbox, you have a voicemail, you're going to click on the file and you're going to listen to it. And when I see people not using that um, you know, measurement or that metric or that output, I jump on it right away versus, oh, I sent out 100 emails and I had 50 opens, right? Those are vanity metrics. I mean, firewalls, all kinds of things will tell you that you know, emails are being opened when they're really not. And then the same thing goes for like, you know, LinkedIn, once you connect with somebody, like, oh, I connected. They accepted my LinkedIn request. That's a vanity metric. Did you actually go into the messenger, click on the microphone, and leave Rob a message and say, thank you for accepting my request? Here's why I actually requested you. I'm not blindly going about doing this. You're actually really important to my company. In fact, yeah, you are on a list. You're on the list of the top 100 most important people that have to meet with my company. And I think that stuff really does work. And it works because it's legit. It has value. And it's, it, it's really measurable. And you know, the other stuff that we're so used to, like, oh, that person's really working hard because they made 100 phone calls every day this week. Cool. How many meetings did they book? Zero. How many deals did they close? None. Well, that person feels terrible. Like they're going in, into their weekend feeling like a failure. And us as leaders, that's our fault because we set them up to do these ridiculous activities that maybe we used to do. Like when I was selling phones, yeah, cold calling worked. I opened up the yellow pages. I hammered the phones. Yeah. I went to a beauty salon and I sold them a data plan. It doesn't work that way anymore. It's a lot different. So I, dig, I, I, I try to shift the, what they're defined as versus what's a vanity metric versus what's not like, let's, how do you define it? And I just work on it from there. I love that. I, I think that's so smart. And I, I got to think that as a sales leader, we should sit down and look at our metrics right now and say, are our metrics, are they tied to accomplishment or are they tied to activity? I mean, yeah. is, is it that simple? Just say, what are the, what are the, kind of key drivers and that's what our metrics are. And I, I don't think you're get, saying we should get away from the activities related to it because no. ultimately we need to know if we have a work ethic challenge or if we have a skill challenge mm-hmm. and activities are a really good way of measuring that. Mm-hmm. But I think just arbitrary, um, arbitrary, Hey, 50 calls an hour or 50 calls a day. I, I scratch my head whenever I bump into sales leaders who do that. Yeah. I mean, look, we have to, as sales leaders, be aware of the fact that if we hire a remote salesperson, they could go online, they can buy a $50 power dialer, pay out of pocket if they're willing to, and they can rip out 50 calls in 35 minutes, hit that checkbox so that we as managers and leaders leave them alone for the rest of the day. That's a vanity metric. That gives me a lot of like just false positives. So how do I coach against that? Or or how do I help somebody? If in my mind, And on paper, I'm like, wow, they're making 50 calls a day. They're doing their job. What else can I do to help this person? They're not getting any meetings, but they're making the call. Something isn't right here. What's not right is you're asking them to do things that no longer necessarily equate to the outcomes that your business specifically requires. The the metrics and things that you track are based on the goals of the time that you need to actually achieve. And leaders need to just realize that and reverse engineer it. 
don't do the same thing over and over again, expecting, you know, the results that you had at your company four or five years ago, you know, that, that was a unicorn or, you know, went one IPO or something. Love it. Let's move off of vanity metrics. And, and I hope that our leaders will take a, a minute, like any best practice, like is you going to say, if you were going to give them an advice on, Hey, look at your metrics and what's a couple things that you might suggest they look for. Because I do think most sales leaders over metric their team, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of advice is they're listening to you right now. They're walking their dog right now, whatever they're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. When you get back and you, and you get back to your desk, what, what's a couple things they could do to kind of do a self audit on if they have good metrics or not? Yeah. I mean, everyone or the, the majority, they over metric and they under coach. And then right. when they go to coach, they think like, Oh, I'm going to listen to one of your calls and then we're going to unpack it and break it down. So that the next time you're in a situation like that, you know, you're audible ready, you know what to do. Anyone can do call listening. Anyone can, can listen to a recorded conversation and coach that way. What I ask managers to do, and I even ask founders and the reps that I coach, I'm like, let's get deep here. Send me the last five emails that you sent, not from a sequence, not a template. The last five emails you sent to a CFO at a bank that you know you have to meet with or on your top 100. Send me that content. Let's look at it. Let's break it down. And then take me through the method of your madness. Why did you come up with this subject line? Why is this your opening statement? Why is this your call to action? Mm. Right? Is everyone asking for just 15 minutes of your time? Or is that rep doing something really unique to that person that's like, wow, that, you know, we should be scaling that because that's working and the rest of the team is not using it. We don't dig deep enough into the metric itself. We just look at the, the number that pops up in, in the cell you know, on the, on the sheet or on the dashboard. And when we over metric, we get blinded by the fact that what's in the, what's buried in the metrics are really bad emails, poorly left voicemails, um, phone calls to fax machines. I mean, just, you name it, you know, if you really get deep, you can see why a rep can easily get, get lost. And when they're lost, I man, it's really hard to get them back on the trail. No doubt. Let's move to the second word that you mentioned that I want to kind of dive into for a little bit because I think it's equally. So vanity metrics got my attention. I'm glad we talked about that. Um, I hope that that's something that our sales leaders will kind of nod their head and shake their head and say, yeah, I probably should look at that. Mm -hmm. You talked very first thing out the shoot was you you talked about morale. You talked about morale driving momentum. And and then you had some thoughts around morale for salespeople and sales, sales teams. Can you talk a little bit about the role of morale? And then I want to get into, you know, how do we either build it or destroy it? And, and, and can we, can, can that be something that we work on as leaders? Yeah, absolutely. So morale comes from a place of trust, right? You have to like establish trust as soon as possible. And then someone could ask me, well, Ryan, how do you establish trust? Well, you're a leader. You should get your hands dirty. You should be vocal and present. You should have a list of 10 companies that you're going to try to get into as well. And as soon as someone says yes to a meeting, you're going to pass that opportunity on to an AE on your team. You're going to show that person that you're willing to run through walls for them. A lot of VPs of sales and leaders say that, oh yeah, I'll do that if hired. If you give me the job, I'll carry a number, I'll carry a bag, or I'll make calls too. Like The most important part of our job is hiring. I understand that. But this, the, 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 the other part, the second part is being brand ambassadors. Like We have to be out there front and center representing our business and making sure that the people behind us know that we are the leader. I will go in first. I will make the first call. I'll try to get the meeting. I'll reach out to other leaders and companies and use my title and flex my, my, my positioning. 
to try to get us in the door and I will pass those opportunities to you. But you, AE, have to reciprocate. When you reciprocate, we build trust. From there, we can get the momentum going around morale because you start to have a, a circle of trust amongst the team. They start seeing success. They know that I'll go to bat for them. Like if, if you're down a couple meetings, I'm getting on the phone for you. If you're working hard and you're doing the right things and you're getting the right meetings, if you're shy a little bit, I got it. Like we're going to figure this, this stuff out. And that builds sustainable, scalable morale that keeps people around longer than the 12 month, you know, average. They end up staying for years. Uh, they end up getting promoted. They end up move, you know, moving on. Um, the other part of morale is just, you got to get those like miniature wins, which goes back to my email or my, my post on LinkedIn. If you got one meeting a day by doing a ton of like well-crafted research and really good messaging and got in front of the right people and exited on a Friday with three to five high-quality opportunities and meetings, you, you'd run out of the building and head to wherever you find happiness, whether it's having a beverage at a bar, going to a cycling class, whatever it is, being like, I absolutely just crushed this week. I am the man. I am the gal. I am it. But that's not happening. So because there's no morale to build the momentum going into the weekend, people get down on themselves and they leave work feeling like they didn't accomplish anything. So that's really where it comes from. And when I post stuff on LinkedIn, it comes from, from a place of experience. If I did it myself, I post it. I share it because, Hey, I just tried this. Maybe you should too. It's not like I'm, you know, throwing lightning bolts saying, Hey, you know, I listen to me. I'm the sales God. This is, this is what works. It's like, no, I just, I tried this this week. I had some success and I'm going into happy hour feeling pretty good about myself. So this is really interesting. I love your thoughts on morale. I thought, I love how what you just shared are authentic ways to build morale. Um, it, it's not based on promises. It's not based right. on a leader saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I, I'm going to do this. It's, it's actually what you did do for them. Oh, you're down a couple meetings. I got you. It's not, hey, I'll lower your your metric. It's you're down a couple met- metric. You're down a couple meetings. Hey, here's here's something I just scheduled. Why don't you take it? Um, I think yeah. I think doing is always going to be more impactful from a morale perspective and a belief in the leader. Because I I love what you said there. It's about trust. So if we got to build trust in people then it's what we do. It's not what we say we're going to do. I, 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 can you talk a little bit about that? I, I, I think there's a lot of big talkers and not enough big doers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my background is mostly on the inside sales side, SMB mid-market. So when I was a VP of inside sales at Dataminer, I was physically in the pit with my team. The team that I built from zero to 16, from zero to 4 million in ARR, I was there with them the entire step of the way. So I was literally physically in the trenches. Uh, I know that it's harder for managers who hire in remote reps and it, it's a bit uh, disjointed or it's hard to be front and center and be available and be visible. I totally understand that. But it's real easy nowadays to just pick up the phone, you know, dial a rep, say, hey, I just had a great conversation with you know, Rob. I'm passing this call over to you. It's a good meeting. I'm going to let you take it. I'll be there. I'll be your SDR on that call. I'll do the kickoff, but you're going to run discovery and demo and I'll be there for you. I'll be like your, your wing person. So that for me, like when I was an inside sales manager, I mean, I was a VP of inside sales, but I was an inside sales manager. You're there with them for me to sit there in complete silence while they're getting kicked in the teeth is an embarrassment. 
to, for myself. Yeah. Like, yeah, I should be ashamed of myself letting these people go, go, go through that while I just sit there and crack the whip and send Slack messages in private, like, hey, pick it up or, or you know, that didn't sound right. Most managers do that. No. I would just turn around and say, hey, man, that voicemail was terrible. And everybody would laugh. We'd all laugh because you know that it's, it's coming from a, I'm not beating you up, man. I'm having fun at your expense, but it's okay. We're a crew. We're in this together. But that voicemail was terrible. We all heard it. Let's fix it. And it builds Trust, morale, camaraderie, uh, a team. But sales leaders got got to do. Everyone says here, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But we got to do. Like we actually have to, especially now, because if you're a VP in a Series A startup, if you're sitting on your hands, pointing fingers, looking at dashboards, and telling people what to do, you're not going to hit your numbers, man. Like it, you, you have to be at the forefront of pipeline development and showing people how it's done, uh, and build a playbook off of that. But I, I, I think that's a whole separate episode. Well, let's talk about it for a second, though. I, like, you're right. I, we may have to have you come back for round two in, in, in a few weeks or a month or so. or Because this is dead on. Like, I'm telling you, too many – there's two things that I see happen. So, I, you know I get to work with sales leaders all around the world. And sales has become such a le- more legitimized profession, uh, like we talked about earlier. You know, people are intentionally involved now instead of accidentally involved. There's a lot of people who want to be sales leaders, either A, because they don't want to keep selling anymore, or they never really sold, but they like the idea of being the head of the revenue function because it's got all this glitz and glamour associated with it, right? Mm -hmm. And so you just talked about the need to be able to pick up the phone and do the job, to be able to like go elbow to elbow with the people you work with and do it with them so you can be a doer. I love how you said it. You said it really well. I wrote it down. but you said, Hey, if you're gonna be a sales leader, you got to do. Yeah. Um, too many times I either see sales leaders let their skills kind of diminish and they get detached from the market. Yeah. Or I'm seeing people that say, Hey, it's overrated. I don't have to be able to sell to lead a sales team. Yeah. Any thoughts about if I don't care how you got the job, I don't care if you did used to sell or if you didn't, could you give any advice to our listeners about like ways that you can make sure you, you keep doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could always look to those legacy folks that are at the company and have been at the company before you showed up. Every company has, has a couple pioneers that are still hang, hanging around. Right. Ooh, isn't that you know? true? That is no, so, it's so true. true. Like yeah. they might be hiding somewhere in a corner, you know, sitting on, on, on their pile of stock options, but <laughs> go grab them. Like, look, man, from what I hear, you closed the first 15 deals, right? That person for me, when I was at HubSpot was like a Mark Roberge. Right, like that guy became the CRO, but before he was a CRO, he was a doer. And then when he was a CRO, he was even more of a doer. Um, I have countless stories of when I was a rep pre-IPO at HubSpot, when Halligan would walk down an aisle, like who are you on the phone with, grab a phone from a rep and say, "Hey, this is Brian, CEO at at, at HubSpot. I hear you might be interested in no way our, our inbound marketing platform." So you got to look for those pioneers that are still lingering around at the company, and there always is. Um, you know, there's someone. What a lot of people are afraid to do is go look at who the previous VP was at that company and say, hey, man, you were here for a year and a half. You closed a couple of really good deals. How did you go about doing that? Like, what was the plan? How did you identify like the little market that you went after? What was your messaging? Um, I think it's okay to do that. Um, as VPs, we should be helping each other as sales leaders. We should always be looking out for each other. Um, we all know that our lifespan is really short right nowadays. It's true. So we got to, you know, we have to look out for each other, man. Like go find out who your predecessor was and reach out to them. Um, but the, it's the simple things. Have a list, 
Like, just so let's talk your- about that. You mentioned that. I wanted to get back to that, so I'm glad you went there. Yeah. Uh, so, so the idea of you ha- maintaining five, ten, whatever accounts, just so you can get them rolling and then hand them off. Not that you're competing with people, but so you can keep. Uh, it's a it keeps your skills good, but b it. What a great trust builder, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, every manager should require a top 100, top 250 from their reps, but you better have your top 100, your top 250 as a leader. Here's my top 250. Don't touch these. They're segmented. They're marked off in my CRM, Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever you use. These are my, my accounts. Don't go after them. But yeah. don't worry. If I get into one of these accounts, I'm going to transfer them over to you and you're going to get a red hot opportunity. But I have my accounts that I have to go after too. My approach might be different. You know, I might not have as much velocity behind, you know, my prospecting efforts because I have four other jobs. Right. And I get it. But don't tell me you can't knock out four hours a week of prospecting, 16 hours a month. I mean, that moves mountains when you're a, a leader of, of people. And that does a lot. Um, and that takes yeah. commitment to do. You don't just kind of work that in. You have to say, I realize how important that is. Mm-hmm. I imagine that like leaders that do that have serious, like mad respect from their team, right? Absolutely. I mean, every manager that I've had that was like a really great manager, uh, and I hate the, I, I don't mean to keep going back and using the HubSpot reference, but before Who's you it? can become a sales leader at HubSpot, you have to have three to four years of documented success as a sales rep. And when you become a manager there, you're still expected to sell. Not just get on the phone and be like, you know, uh, you know, captain save a deal or sink a battleship in the 11th hour. Like, no, like really sell. Like you still have to have a manager, a pipeline you're managing. You're still doing demos. Your team is hearing how to actually run discovery call, how to do a demo. You're live coaching through osmosis and transparency and live interactions on the floor. Uh, all that stuff I learned later in life. I joined when I was in my mid thirties uh, at that company, but so much of what I learned is incorporated into what we do today at, at my company and what we teach and preach. Yeah. I really think that's a best practice. I don't think that's used very often. I think that's something that you can, you could implement immediately. Right. Yeah. Well, Rob, think about this. And, and this is, I don't mean to come off like a jerk, but how many sales leaders do you see on LinkedIn posting stuff on like how to do certain things? All the time. End a month, do this. Yeah. End a quarter, do that. We should be, do, it's like, okay, but do you do it? <laughs> like, if I were to ask you, do you do it as well? Like, right. are, you, are you saying this because you're doing it right now and having success or because you read it in, in a book or you went to some podcast or you, or you heard it on a, on a webinar or you heard Ryan say it? You know, like, yeah. are, you, are you actually doing it? Yeah, that's so strong, Ryan. That's so strong. I mean, and again, that's something that you can, you can start doing today. You don't have to wait. Like you could start implementing that as the part of your leadership style, your leadership cadence. You can start doing it today. Yeah. And then I think that a, your ability to coach will change instantly, mm-hmm. not just because you'll have the respect, but because you're actually doing something. And you're right. It's really easy to say, Oh man, I remember my lead generation when I was doing this was a phone book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that because it's so un, it's so not relevant. No, you know, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't give a they'll, shit. They'll, that's yeah. not how we do it now. Right. No. So they'll yeah. call us crazy. That's phone right. book. What, nobody knows what a phone book is. I don't anymore. even know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do they still make those. Yeah. And so, yeah, I like that. It's, it's easy. The best leaders are the ones that the reps think are relevant. Yep. 
not just in how to do the job, but relevant to how they're going in their career. So let's, let's shift to that. Mm-hmm. Let's shift about being the kind of leader that can connect with a rep. I, one of my phrases that I use as I coach coaches is connect before you correct. Mm-hmm. And if, you, you talked about morale being about trust. And so I want to sit in that side of it. Part of it is, so I think there's three kinds of trust. I think there's ethical trust, like, when Ryan says something, I th- he's telling me what he at least thinks is true. Yeah. Uh, the next one is competency trust. Um, what Ryan can do the job. And so I can listen to him because he actually knows how to do what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And the last one is connection trust. And that's, I trust that Ryan has my best interests in mind. Yeah. And, and trust is one of the two things that a leader has to have in abundance. Or else can't win. Can you talk about that third one? You've already talked about the competency one a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about that, that connection trust and why that matters so much? Yeah, for sure. Um, my Achilles heel is that I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, my open transparency um, can be viewed as a weakness when it's often a strength. It actually lures people closer to me. Um, it shines the brightest during a one-on-one setting. We, you'll hear leaders say, oh, the one-on-one's about the rep, but you always use that time to go through their pipeline. You always use that time to course correct activities, but you don't use that time to, to connect with that person. You know, you have this amazing opportunity to, in an intimate setting to connect with, you know, John, Rob, Sally, you know, Lisa, whoever on your team in a genuine private setting where you have the, the chance to say, hey, what's going on? How's your work week going? Anything you want to talk about, you know, outside of work that I can help mentor you with. Let's be frank. I'm 15 to 20 years older than a lot of the people that are out there on the front lines of selling. If you don't find value in that, then that's okay. If you're not comfortable talking about certain things in your life, that's okay too. But you need to understand that I'm here for you. And I'm probably going to share some things about me because I'm actually, at the end of the day, a human just like you, in addition to, to your manager. Um, I want you to run through walls just as fast as I would run through one for you. And I think the, the one-on-one has been used in such a wrong way historically when it's really meant to be like that you know, connection moment. If the rep comes to the one-on-one saying, hey, I'm struggling with these three deals, great, we're going to spend time on that. Trust is built by me listening to what you need and me helping you address it. If you come to me and say, hey, man, I'm having some problems at home. All right, man, what's up? Let's talk about it. Because if you're having problems at home, you're having problems here. You're having problems at work, problems in the office. We look for ways to build trust through business means only. We're so concerned about breaking down these walls because we're going to get in trouble. But I'm sorry. Um, That's a cultural thing that should be on every job wreck in the world, that we are an open, transparent, supportive, family-like culture. We take care of our own. That draws me to go work at a company, not the stuff that's in the kitchen or the ping pong tables, if that stuff even exists anymore. But all those like just more vanity type things that you put up on like a job opening. Uh, I just like the more family-based setting. And just because you're a big company doesn't mean you can't offer that. Um, the manager can do that. Have the guide reels in place, be professional about it, but genuinely care and help people. Um, you know, leaders have an opportunity to help people in all facets of their life. So you know, that's why if I there's one trust. lesson I've learned in the last year to whatever it is now since March, I guess, 14, 15 months, um, we got to be connected to the whole person and not just the salesperson, right? Amen. Yeah. And, and I think that the great leaders already were there, but I think that 
if there's one thing that I think has come, I think salespeople and maybe just employees and people in general is they've, they've realized nothing's guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what's coming next. And I think that the people's priorities may have shifted a little bit. And, and I think that the great leaders will benefit from it. And the, the, the leaders who aren't getting what you're saying, they're going to have some hurting unnecessarily if they can't connect to the person and instead just make it about crushing dials every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, Rob, look, uh, let's face it. The leaders are getting older and the sales reps are getting younger. Right. Right. So there's like that age gap when you have an age gap, it's like, well, Ryan doesn't really understand me because you know, there's a 15 to 20 year gap. It's like, it's our job to literally like close that gap, remove age as a barrier and say, no, no, listen, you have an incredible opportunity by working for Rob and Ryan, what they're going to teach you is you can't measure it and it's going to pay massive dividends for you five years down the road. But you got to, you got to trust this guy that he's been there before. He's already walked the walk. There's lots of traps I can help you avoid and vice versa. Lots of success that I can help you achieve. So we're about out of time. We're going to have a few things that we do like we do at the end of every episode, but before we get into the rapid fire and then give people a chance to connect with you any kind of summary thoughts around this? I mean, we've talked about redefining the vanity metrics. We've talked a lot about being a big doer and not a big talker, uh, the importance of doing and, and, and this idea of, of trust as a creator of momentum and morale. I, I've always thought morale, momentum was a leader's best friend. And I, I love the insight you shared on, on trust coming, you know, as the thing that builds morale and morale, something that builds momentum. Any kind of final thoughts that you'd share with the leaders on, hey, here's some things you might start doing immediately if you want to start having these kind of things showing up in your organization? Yeah. Well, luckily for us, we're, we're getting back to a place where we can actually physically be around each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that – I don't think people actually realize like what that's actually going to really feel like once it happens. And if I was a leader, I would start planning around how I want that experience to be for everybody as a team. And I want it to be individually. Um, it should be a glorious celebration. And it, work should be put aside for a second. And it should be like, oh, my God, like, look at us. We're back together again. We are human to human, contact to contact, belly to belly, you know, as a team again. And isn't this just awesome? Let's ride this incredible feeling of high energy, hope, emotion into next quarter, the quarter beyond uh, and and you know, crush your numbers. I would, so I would really think as a leader, how am I going to harness this amazing feeling when we are all back together again, and then get back to the stuff that worked pre pandemic, you know, the one-on-ones work. If you conduct them and frame them the right way, don't deviate away from the stuff that worked, but the stuff that you learned throughout this separation period, get rid of it. If you know, it doesn't work, don't bring it back right? Mm. Everything you learn, don't bring it back. It didn't work then. It didn't work now. Don't bring it back. But harness the, uh, the energy because it's going to be a pretty powerful thing. Um, and companies need to really harness on that. And I, that's where I would, I, w- I would focus all my time. Such great advice. Love it. This has been a, a really awesome conversation. You fired me up, man. I can't wait to get back at it because I've come <laughs> back to the office and I'm, I'm, I'm back in the office again and it's great. I can and, see it. It looks awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's good to be back in the office again. And and uh, I, I think that you're right. Our, le- our leaders could really benefit from what you just said. That's such great advice. You have a chance to bring some new things that we've learned are important. We've had a chance now to get rid of the things that didn't work. 
um, it's a rare opportunity. I love that mindset you just shared because this was not something that we can say, we can say this wasn't done to us. This was done for us. So what are you going to benefit from? Right? Yeah. All right. So let's, let's rapid fire this sucker. You ready? Three questions real fast. I, I, I think so. Let's go. Let's do it, baby. Number one sales leadership problem you see right now or sales leadership challenge you see right now. And how do you beat it? Um, hiring. And you have to be proactive versus reactive. If you rely solely on your HR teams and recruiting teams to find the talent that's going to hit your number, you're going to fail. You have, you, you have to do the work. And I think that you'll see uh, they're predicting a lot of turnover happening. Right, There's going to be some good people that are saying, hey, because people are going to bring those shitty things that didn't work, they're going to bring them back. You're going to have a time to, a chance to get some of those people. So I, I think you're smart. That's a good yep. one. Yep. So when you are hiring, then that takes us to number two really nicely, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, when you are hiring and you're building your team, do you have a go-to interview, either question or topic that you like to that kind of is your go-to? And, and when you leverage it, what is it you're looking for when you use that? Yeah, uh, I always test for adversity uh, during a job interview, uh, adversity for the person. So I'll ask them, hey, listen, you can, I need you to pick a time in your life where you were faced with a challenge and I want to understand how you got through it. It could be anything. It could be school-related, family-related, sports-related. I don't really care. I want to hear how that person dealt with adversity, dealt with a challenge, and how they got through it. Did they crawl into a corner and cry and run back to mommy and daddy, or did they come up with a plan to get themselves out of it? Love it. Okay. Those are both really good. Last one, man. Said the best for last. Leaders are readers. We yeah. found that the great leaders never are done learning. They're trying to continue to grow. I don't care if it's a book or an audible, or I don't care if it's bite-sized chunks. If you've got a blog or a podcast, is there something you'd suggest to our listeners that are listening to you right now that would help them advance their leadership career? Yeah. I'm going to say something that might be a bit, you know, provocative or controversial, but I believe that leaders are writers and the, the, this new wave of leaders, they need to be writing a lot more, sharing a lot of content, experience from the battlefield getting out front and center and sharing experiences. It's been my playbook. Hey, I made, you know, 55 phone calls today and I got two meetings and here's how I did it. Share it. That's leadership, like demonstrating and documenting and articulating success um, is great. But I knew you were going to ask me this question. This happens to be one of my favorite books. It's the trillion dollar uh, coach. I love it. I don't Um, know that one. I can't wait to read it. um, I actually have extra copies. So give me your address. I'll send you one for free. Bam. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great. Um, it's, uh, we talked about trust, uh, morale and momentum. This is a great book to read. I'll leave it at that. Beautiful. Thank, thank you. Ryan, yep. this was amazing. Uh, this has been a killer conversation. How, how, how do people connect with you? How do they follow you? How do they yeah. pick up what you're putting down? How do they learn more about sales jevity? You know, how, yep. how do they do that? Yeah, I appreciate that. So if you go on LinkedIn and look up Ryan Lallier, that's the best place to find me and learn more about sales jevity. Um, I, I, that's my place. That's where I hang out. That's my social media. Um, that's my Facebook, Instagram. That's everything. That's where I go. Um, so if you want to hang out and talk to me there, you can email me in private. You can connect with me, comment on anything I post, uh, whatever. My email is ryan at salesjevity.co. You can email me anytime. But those are two places where... I'm usually around. You'll always see the green dot on next to my, uh, my avatar on LinkedIn because I'm usually on, on LinkedIn doing something. Nice. Ryan, this has been outstanding. I, I, I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation with you because I've been following you for a while. I'll, I'll tell our listeners, if you, don't, if you haven't connected with Ryan, do it. Ryan has great stuff, and he, he brings these little punchy things that make you stop and think. 
and uh, it's really well structured the way you do things. It's it's helped me a lot. Um, Ryan uh, Ryan Lallier, CEO founder of Sales Jevity. He's helping people redefine gravity. I mean, vanity metrics everywhere he goes, and helping leaders become big doers and leaving the big talkers in the dust. And Ryan, as I say to everyone, happy selling. Thanks, Rob. This was awesome. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And Ryan brought the heat today. Man, I hope you could tell just how fired up I was about it. I hope it really motivated and inspired you as well. Because I love Ryan's approach to sales development. No gimmicks, no games, no vanity metrics, just performance. And frankly, that's one of the reasons I'm so proud to be working with Scipio. Because I can tell you from one sales leader to another that Scipio will absolutely, positively improve your performance. Don't settle for an average texting platform. If you want to help your team have the best chances of connecting with their prospects, then Scipio is something you just have to check out. I'm getting success stories almost every week now from people that are checking out the Scipio text messaging platform as a result of hearing about it here on the show, and the feedback has been so awesome to hear about. One of the sales leaders told me they received a 40% improvement in show rates just by using Scipio, and that number is so big you can't afford not to check it out. Now, Not all text messaging platforms are created equal. You may say, I've already looked at text messaging platforms. If you haven't looked at Scipio's, then you need to because it's the most powerful and the most personal one I've ever seen. It's just that simple. And if you're looking to engage more with your clients and also to get more prospects to your demos and discovery meetings, do yourself a favor and start trying Scipio. I know them personally. I know they'll give you an amazing experience. Take advantage of a free month with no strings attached. Compliments of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Head to Scipio.com. Tell them I sent you by using the promo code ROB. That's just R-O-B. You're going to be blown away at how quickly the right texting platform can change the game for the members of your team. Now, this show is also brought to you by my company, the Jepson Performance Group. You already know this. Companies spend billions on sales training, sales tools, and sales process, but those very same companies leave leaders on their own to figure out what the sales leadership model needs to look like. That's one of the reasons you like this show. We are we are low on resources for sales leaders. And while there's no shortcuts to success, you will get there faster if you take the more, more direct route. And if you like the content of my podcast, you're going to love the content in my community for sales leaders, Sales Leadership United. It's Seriously, it's, it's for do-it-yourselfers. It's like the Home Depot for sales leaders. It's got my very best content, over 100 hours of training materials. You can find everything you need in my Patreon community. And if you've never had a coach in your corner, I'm telling you, now is the time to give it a try. The very greatest performers in the world in every discipline invest in themselves. Save your most precious resource, your time. Small improvements create disproportionate results in both sales and sales leadership. And if you can win just a little more, just a little faster... I promise you, you'll create massive results. And if you want to find those small advantages, hit me up. Now, I'm never going to get tired of having experts share their insights around pipeline development because I'm going to go to my grave believing it's the most important part of the sales function. I have a saying, though, that I think really applies to this episode, okay? If you're going to play stupid games, you're going to win stupid rewards. And I think too many objectives that sales leaders have are just simply activity-based, Right, I, I really am not a believer in the fake motivational games that people play. Uh, too many people are just winning the work harder games that is really a stupid game 
because they aren't driving the outcomes. And as a result, instead of getting the, the outcome you want of fueling the growth of your company, you get the stupid outcome of the badge or the little gimmick that you got. But you wonder when you go home, why am I not making more money? Why am I not selling more? And so Ryan really hit a nerve with me on this one. This is a, an, an area that I'm passionate about. And I think too many sales leaders try to artificially play uh, motivation games. And there's a different M that he brought up, and it's morale, okay? Morale-based objectives, outcome-based objectives, and whatever you do, stay away from vanity metrics. And you may say, we need all these metrics. I, I think that you don't need more than four metrics. In fact, I argue you can get it down to three most of the time. And, and so if you have pages and pages of metrics, you should think long and hard about why you have them. Because morale does drive momentum, and I believe momentum is the sales leader's best friend. So now's a great time to stop and think about the impact your leadership is having on morale. There are several things that build morale, and Ryan did a great job identifying, I think, what two of the most important ones are. Because success is one of them. Our job is hard, and that's why it's so important that we help the people on our team win. You know, if you want to be an elite sales leader... There's three things you have to do to fuel transformation, trans, transformative results. And the first one, the one you have to get right before you can even think about number two and three, is to provide step-by-step instructions on how to achieve their goals while working with you. A set of step-by-step instructions that will get them the outcome that they want. And if your metrics don't fuel the outcomes that get success, your metrics for sure are vanity metrics and are not useful. And Ryan's right. Too many of the sales leaders today make everything about effort and not enough about outcome, right? If you can get one appointment set on one call, that's a dub. That's a victory. And this whole 50 call a day thing, I think, has come and gone and outlived its prime. We need to have X number of meetings or X number of proposals or X number of whatever, and we're working towards that. And and I'm telling you, if you aren't able to use metrics to shine the light on what they should do differently in order to win, you absolutely positively are letting your team down. And I think this is foundational to your success as a leader. I've learned that elite sales leaders have two things in abundance. One of them is success, something we just mentioned, and the other is trust. Trust is a deep, complicated topic. There are three levels of trust you've got to have in order to be successful as a sales leader. You need character or ethical trust. You need competency or technical trust where they know you can do the job they're doing. And you need connection or personal relationship trust where they know you have their best interests in mind. And if you can't dig past the metric to understand what's driving success and failure, I promise you, you will struggle to develop technical or personal trust. Period. So trust builds morale and morale builds momentum. And my very favorite thing Ryan discussed is centered around doing, not talking. There are so many big talkers today and not enough big doers. Too many sales leaders sit in their chair hiding behind dashboards and spreadsheets worried about board meetings and not connected enough to what's happening because they are not doers. Ryan said it best. I'm going to quote him. As leaders, we got to do. And doing with your reps will always, always, always be greater than talking with your reps. So if there's only one thing that you get from this episode, I'm going to quote Ryan again. We got to do. Listen, there's a lot of talk about this impending great resignation as people come back to work and they get hit with the same things that was piss- that were pissing them off before. Um, I'm starting to see it with some of the companies I work with already. And, and turnover will always be preceded by a morale problem. And working hard and not getting results will almost always, always create a morale problem. 
If this is happening in your world where people are like hitting vanity metrics but not hitting success metrics, dig past the numbers and start doing with the reps you lead because it will help you have these observable moments where you'll be able to see what we need to do differently. And if there's one thing you take today, just remember, doing is always better than saying. Don't say, I got you. Instead, work with them and help them cross the finish line and really have them. Because morale builds momentum, and and momentum is a leader's best friend. So, Ryan, thanks so much. And I mean so much for joining me this week. What an important topic. Creating momentum because you can create morale. If you haven't already, connect with Ryan. If you're on the journey of becoming an elite sales leader, Ryan's someone you want to be connected to. I freaking love his content, and I hope you'll find it helpful as well. Now, I also want to thank Scipio one more time. If you haven't done so already, you got to head over to Scipio.com and take advantage of their free one-month trial by using the offer for yourself. Communicate with your prospects the way they want to be communicated to. Find out all about it by using the promo code ROB, R-O-B, and then watch your results change faster than you thought a text messaging platform would ever do for you. Now, finally, I want to thank each of you, our listeners. You guys are the greatest listeners. The show grows every week. I love the feedback I get. You know, if you like what you heard, you know, this week or last week or whatever, please send me that message. I really want to hear from you. And if you think we deserve it, give us a five-star review on iTunes. I can't tell you how long it goes in helping me get the best guests in the world on the show. And I'm going to finish the way I always do. Be elite because you can be. Live strong because you are. And chase your passion because life's too short not to. And whatever you do, don't worry. Just execute. Because I can tell you, we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast. The award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner you know where to find me.